Hello all and welcome back to the 6th episode of this season's Ulster Rugby Roundup. It's a big day for the parish. Michael Sadler is in for his second ever podcast appearance. Hello Michael. Hello. Hi guys. Hi everybody. Very nervous obviously. So only second, <laughs> only second time. But here we go. We'll see how it goes. Big day. Big day. He Hello. takes Adam McHenry's seat this week and joins Jonathan Bradley. Hello. How's it going? And myself, Gareth Hanna. On this week's agenda we have another win for Ulster. This one over Southern Kings. We also look ahead to Friday's game against the Cheetahs. The end of the South offering an experience and um, we'll deal with your, your listener questions and we'll fire through a quick uh, rug, uh, club rugby segment yes it's still here even though Adam's away Southern Kings then first up 28-7 victory let's just deal with what everybody has been fretting a little bit about John Cooney's injury is he okay? Yeah everyone's getting very hot under the collar about this but the man himself says it's only a flesh wound so which is I think how it looked it's one of those things where if it had have been a concussion it wouldn't have looked anywhere near as bad but the lingering effects of it would have been far worse like I wouldn't be surprised if we don't see Cooney this week given that he played 160 minutes in the first two games mm. given that the derbies are coming up and then into Europe and then we still believe that with the uncertainty over Conor Murray that he's going to be required for Ireland in yeah. November we're only seven weeks away from the start of the autumn internationals now so it wouldn't surprise me in any way if he didn't play against Cheetahs but at the same time, I don't think the man's going to be too worried about needing a few stitches on his head. Yeah, but it was the picture that really, like, it, it sums up why Ulster or rugby players are a different breed. If I had that, I'd be off work for about three months. <laughs> <laughs> of course, the other thing worth bearing in mind is that Ulster do need to get some scrum half cover on the pitch as well. Yeah. Dave Shutman really hadn't really been seen. So they need to get that coming through because they're going to have to do without John because we all fully expect John's going to be involved in November. So they're going to have to get guys out covering that position as well so yeah. yeah because this is the thing we'd asked Dan McFarland about it in the press conference last week about what what's the plan if John Cooney's not there you know you haven't exposed these scrum halves to any uh, any minutes yet and he said well you know when the game's in the balance you're not thinking about what you're going to do in November but <laughs> I suppose that's now come a lot a lot earlier than they expected because well I suppose 60 minutes on uh, yesterday of no Cooney and then we probably expecting that he might miss Friday's game as well so they are now in a position a lot sooner than November that where they are going to have to deal with his absence well let's talk about that a little bit more in a while the Kings game then um, just a match of penalties basically well that's the one abiding memory you'll have of it <laughs> um, is obviously Sam Grove White and the constant penalties um, that were being given away the Kings were constantly offending he had to do it, but of course, you know, a ridiculous number. Was it 21 penalties? 22, right? of course, in, the end, 22 yeah. in the end. And he binned one player. And the amount of times you heard him warning them and saying, you know, I'm warning you now, I'm warning you now. And the Kings just lapped it up and went, well, okay, fair enough. He's not going to send us off for 10 minutes. He should have done that. He sent, obviously, two Ulster players to, you know, to cool their heels, but simply one, their flanker. Um, it was uh, a performance that kind of, I suppose, really dictated the game and the way the game went. And it wasn't a, a good refereeing performance. There's no escaping that. That, that. I'm sure he will. his assessors will be speaking to him about that. He's going to have to show yellow again. But he was very inexperienced, as I'm sure um, John probably alluded to. It's only his, what, 
second. Yes. Yeah, so I th- whenever we were doing the previews on um, in Saturday's paper, we had highlighted this fact that it was his second game at this level. That his first game it came in Leinster Dragons last November, so almost a full year. And I think he just could. the The inexperience was so evident because. To bin somebody for persistent infringement when the team gives away its seventh penalty and then for them to give away another 15 over the course of the game. And it's not something that you blame the Kings for because you're going to keep doing it as long as you can get away with it because it stunted any momentum that Ulster had in their attacking play. But it really did reach the situation yesterday where especially you know Peter Stringer comes on and says I don't know what to say about that and it just summed up the end of that game where it was it just became a farce because there were so many final warnings without a card given without the yellow card coming I don't necessarily agree with there being any issue over the fact that Ulster had two players binned because you can look at them both and say that they're fine it's like the number of penalties wasn't Ulster's issue, it was the nature of the penalties. But for Kings to be able to halt the game that many times without fear of censure of another yellow card, just it ruined it as a spectacle. And I think like there'll be players here in that blast of that whistle in their sleep last night because it was just... Because <laughs> you take into consideration the advantages as well, you know, the ones that don't count as penalties, where the game played on you're talking about the Kings were committing an, infring- an infringement more than once every three minutes when you take mm-hmm. into the ones that were let to go on as well and Wait. also we were waiting when Marcel Coutsea scored his try eventually which incidentally I wasn't sure about the grinding of I thought yeah. he would have gone upstairs to that, but he didn't why he didn't bin one of their players were well, there three or four reset scrums where they were retreating all the time is just it's mind boggling really <laughs> But it, you know, it made it very difficult to watch. It made it even more difficult to play in. Um, but I'm sure everybody's just very happy to draw a line under it and move on. Yeah, we can probably expect it to be another year before we see him in a improved routine game. <laughs> um, I feel sorry for him. He's really very harsh on. I actually no, I yeah. felt sorry for him as well because it was just it was his inexperience yeah, that's coming it. through, not, and he he clearly didn't want to give a second yellow card for persistent infringement. Yeah. But I think, as Michael says, when the assessors go through it. The point will be made to him that you can't continually give a final warning Mm -hmm. after you've already given one. Yeah. Well, you mentioned those two yellow cards for the Ulster players earlier and said that they were both fair. But, uh, Michael, I know you might disagree with that on Alan O'Connor's count. Well, I mean, he did go in and he's he's leading with the shoulder. But, um, funnily enough, the TMO actually tried to talk the referee out of yellow carding him and just said it was a penalty. It... Look, it was an illegal clear-out, but I think we, we, we reached the point where there, there was, it's a contact sport, and I, 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 wouldn't have, I wouldn't have said that was a yellow card, put it that way, I wouldn't have said it was yellow. Um, and it looked particularly odd then, you know, c- compared to what happened in the rest of the game, when you would have assumed he would have been wielding yellow left, right and centre, and maybe mm-hmm. he thought to himself he shouldn't have done that, I don't know what he was thinking, but um, I, I thought it was a bit harsh. I, 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 I could see the point that you, you could have him Get get him off for ten minutes for that. But I thought it was a bit. I thought it was a bit harsh. I thought it was far worse when on that didn't um, go punished in that in that manner as the game unfolded. I think that there has been obviously incidents that were worse. But if you look at the way that Ulster 
enter rucks without using their arms shoulder first and Alan O'Connor is by no means the worst defender but it's something that Ulster have done quite a few times this season and you're looking at it and you're th- when you're watching it back you're thinking if that had to went to the TMO for any reason then it could have been a yellow card so I agree with the idea that Alan, for it to be given to Alan O'Connor was on the slightly harsh side but I, it doesn't surprise me and I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing that Ulster did get a yellow card for their entry into Rocks because it hasn't been great throughout the three games. The only issue was that they then seemed to be very hesitant for the next sort of 40 minutes going into the Rocks and he ended up in this situation where they just weren't committing enough numbers to them and they were getting blown out of them by Southern Kings essentially and the amount of times where Ulster seemed to be on the back foot or Shannon would get tackled just as he got the ball out of the ruck was another thing as well as the referee that I thought really um, halted the momentum well I sense this might be a good question for Twitter later on in the week uh, we can ask who the listeners think is right about this uh, whether Alan O'Connor did or did not deserve a yellow card so we'll see later on in the week who uh, knows their stuff better uh, you two? I, I, I want a third option for cumulatively <laughs> over the course of the three games Ulster deserved a yellow card for Rock Andrew that's <laughs> fair, fair okay might be being a little bit too technical here but <laughs> um well, the referee did obviously uh, dominate the post-match chat, uh, not just between us, but also with um, Dan McFarland, Ulster's head coach. So here's a little bit about of what he had to say. I said about again, every time, every time. Well, that, the, it was 14 penalties against them at, uh, at half-time, um, 20 penalties at the end of the game. Like, you know, when, when you're playing in a, a, um, a match that is so stop-start because of the amount of penalties... Um, it's, it's very difficult to get any momentum going. Um, the, the difficulty for us is we, I think we had two penalties in the first half against us. I might be wrong. I think it was two. Um, and one of ours was a yellow card. So um, that made it difficult for us. But that's, 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 that's not to say that we couldn't have been better. Um, I felt that uh, we created enough opportunities in the first half. Uh, that if we'd been really ruthless in what we were doing, we, we'd have got a couple of tries. Um, we did get a try, but it was taken off the uh, the board for um, uh, a clean out by um, Al. That's that's the way it is. That, that that's what happened. And I'll come back to what I say. We've got to be more ruthless in what we're we're doing if we want to take advantage of the dominance that we had in terms of possession, territory, and line breaks in the first half. Then we we have to be more ruthless. We, uh, you know. Um, um, it's difficult when um, there, there are a lot of infringements in the game, but uh, it's up to us to uh, um, um, to, to, to make our, our, our dominance count. Well, quite a rare thing happened on the, the Twitter account at the weekend on our Man of the Match poll. It was fairly unanimous, I think. I can't remember now, but it was well over 80% anyway. had picked Marcel as Man of the Match. So um, just what, what was it that was so good about his performance? Well, I mean, we've seen it already, obviously, that he is the primary ball carrier and he that's what he does and he loves to do that. And Ulster were using him, um, as usual, extensively in this game. But he also did some pretty reasonable work in defence as well. I think he won one very vital turnover on a day when Ulster were struggling at the breakdown, probably for some of the reasons which Jonathan alluded to, the fact that they were worried at, the, at, at, at rock time. But uh, he... Um, <laughs> 
I mean, he is he he is he is obviously the main the main man, and I mean that's what that's what he that's what he does. That's what he's here for. That's what we haven't seen, and that's what we're beginning to see now. Obviously, he still has quite a bit I think to go to really become um, to hit the heights which he should be hitting. But th- that's essentially why. And it wasn't also it has to be also said difficult to pick him as man of the match because. Uh, <laughs> In fairness, um, it was a bit of a one-horse race compared to some of the performances from the other players. Yeah, Cooney went off and Addison didn't play, so <laughs> the two man of the match favourites were uh, were ruled out of the running early on. But as Michael says, the turnover for me was a huge moment because it came just after the herring yellow card. So you risked that real double whammy of not only going down to fourteen, but King scoring immediately from the next phase of play. So, I mean, that was a huge moment. Again, is carrying... Um, I don't think we've seen the explosiveness that he displayed in his first games in an Ulster shirt yet from him, but the volume is certainly there, the willingness to find the ball. And he's another one, along with Ian Henderson and Stuart McCloskey, when they're paired together um, in tandem. You can see that because they all attract more than one, you can't commit a solo tackler to him, so it is going to create more space for everyone else when those players are all on their game. Yeah. And if they could get John Diesel doing something similar mm. as well and got all those players mentioned out on the park, um, it could be very interesting to see how they how they go um, when they've got front foot. Yeah. Very interesting. Just probably not hold our breath for, for that happening for John at the moment. No, I think that he probably was... He didn't get an awful lot of time, but he, I think he certainly added something when he came on there at the weekend the entire bench I thought was was pretty good I thought Eric Sullivan um, again looked bright when he came on and then you saw the tries for Curtis and Kernahan um, Kernahan making exactly the same sort of break that he made for his try against Wasps in the preseason almost a carbon copy of the of the run um, so it was good to see those guys um, get on the score sheet in the end provide a little bit of energy for a performance that was sort of flagging especially after I think once the once the Gilroy try was ruled out after the Sean Reedy break, I think that was sort of the, the gig was up at that stage in terms of getting believing they could go on and get the bonus points. So it was good to just see a little bit of tempo, a little bit of energy brought from the younger guys on the bench. Michael, while you're here, I have to thank you for your player ratings because they always do really well on the website. So it's fantastic. <laughs> they're always very, oh, very well. It was very I much appreciated. Just my mum doing that. <laughs> <laughs> well, unless she's clicking them thousands of times. Jonathan's always raging because they always do better in most of his articles. But <laughs> when I when I pour my heart and soul into big features, it takes me an entire day, and then you look on the fix uh, the website and it's like ratings <laughs> live blog. Five things we think. <laughs> exactly, but judging by your well, as you said, it, it just another probably all-round frustrating display from Ulster and going by your ratings I mean most players were in and around the five mark there so it's it maybe sounds like we're getting very picky but three wins out of three but Um, it's just Ulster just aren't hitting their heights are they? No they're not and I suppose you have to take into account that obviously Dan McFarland really hasn't been here all that long but we have of course been down this road before where Ulster start a season they win they don't win very convincingly and you think they're going to get some momentum and then they trip up and, and then things start to unravel from there. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly happened last season. I think it's Jonathan Lee too, happened the previous season too. Last season we, we, we ran three, I think it was four wins before we possibly uh, fell to Zebra, but I can't remember if it was three or four. Yeah, and then that Zebra result was 
kind of set a tone mm-hmm. um, and was something that kept coming back then throughout the season that they weren't um, they weren't really able to perform when it really mattered and they weren't able to put stuff together you know uh, collectively for any great period of time um, we're kind of seeing something similar here they are winning um, very dramatically um, as in the first two games mm-hmm. and in a real slog which that really was yesterday uh, but not convincingly so it's very very difficult to judge um, where they really are in reality though it looks lovely at the moment because they're sitting top of conference B of course but um, it's very very hard to judge just how they're going to go um, I certainly have concerns about quite a number of areas they played their line outs yesterday were, were poor their breakdown work was poor which wasn't the first time that they've struggled in that area and um, it's just not happening you know, mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that it won't, but it's just not happening. This time there is a legitimate excuse. You've got Dan in, he's new to the job, and he's feeling his way. So perhaps you can look at it in that regard and see that improvements maybe will come. But we've, we've known this for a long time. Ulster are now a long-term project, yeah. and it's not a case now of expecting great things. Mm-hmm. It's just seeing how they put themselves together and, and move forward in the future. I think you're obviously looking for momentum and the one thing that we've seen in recent seasons is it's very, very hard to build momentum if you can't win away from home mm. because it goes without saying that half of your games are away from home <laughs> even more so this season mm-hmm. actually um, so this um, game on Sunday was Ulster's first win away from home bar the Edinburgh game since December so away form has obviously been the real issue when it comes to putting that, those winning sequences together to build momentum. And as Michael says, at this time of year, we've seen them do this before and then just hit a speed bump. And it's always come just before you're going into Europe, which is when you're really seeking momentum. Because in such a short competition of only six games, how you start really sets the entire tone. We've seen that in recent years where it's always felt like Ulster are behind the eight ball before the things even before you've really sunk your teeth into it. And the way that they are this season with the fixtures, they need to win that Leicester game because you don't see them picking up something away to Racing. So building, as much as we say, um, there's excuses for it and a little bit of the staccato sort of things that we've seen in attack. You need to build into that Leicester game. There's only a few weeks to it. Now, the main thing for me is going to be I'm not overly concerned about the lineouts because you can see that being fixed if you just plug in Henderson back in there. And obviously, Andy Warwick probably doesn't want to be thrown thrown in too many more times after uh, after Harry being binned. But the breakdown work continues to be a concern because for me, it's been an area where they've been struggling in for the three games. And yesterday, the turnovers, especially like. They just rhyme off a few of these stats. 586 metres to 181, 68% possession, 73% territory, 17 line breaks compared to one line break. That domination wasn't reflected on the mm-hmm. scoreboard until very late on when things got a little bit loose. But the key one is 18 turnovers. You can't mm-hmm. turn the ball over 18 times. That's the kind of thing that we actually saw last season in that Zebra game that Michael mentioned that was really the last time where we saw turnovers coming at that regularity mm. well you mentioned them a little bit earlier uh, 
John, I forgot your name there again. That's John, right. um, we've only known each other for years. Uh, well, yeah, look, it's fine. Um, the two, uh, what's the plural of Angus? Angai. The two Angai uh, got their first tries, Kernan and Curtis. So it's it's not every week that's going to happen for a player. So let's give them a little bit more chat. Just how excited are, have you been about these two? Well, Angus Kernan has looked pretty sharp, as to be said, and has come a long way in a very short space of time. Angus Curtis has been. Well, I mean, he's been injury prone, so we don't know an awful lot about him. Both of them are obviously highly thought of, and they have a bit of pace, and they are exactly fit the sort of mode of what the way Ulster are moving now <clears throat> by promoting young players from within and investing in them and hoping that then they hit and continue to, you know, an upward curve, if you like. Um, <clears throat> they both look pretty useful players. Obviously, Angus Curtis seems to have eclipsed Johnny McPhillips, who was very much yeah. the man who's filling that role. Uh, he's actually starting last year, and now he's not making the 23 at all. It's very hard to say because, again, you know, we saw Angus Curtis yesterday in the helter-skelter end game when there's no real structure in the game. Um, but at least he's getting exposure. Angus Kernan seems to quite like sniffing out tries. I've seen him at Ulster A-level, and he was reasonably good at Ulster A-level last season. He wouldn't have been expecting to get where he is now. Mm-hmm. Um, so quickly, but uh, he looked, yeah, the, he looked sharp, and I think Angus Curtis is a very promising player too. But I don't think you can read an awful lot into very, very limited yeah. uh, periods of time off the bench. Um, but again, this is part of the Ulster mantra now. Um, gone are the days when the big money signings are coming. Um, these guys are coming up and have to be promoted and pushed from within. And I know Angus Curtis mm-hmm. obviously isn't originally from here, but nevertheless. He's a young player and he's fitting the bill, so I suppose in that regard, it's relatively positive. Yeah, absolutely. Um, if we look at the, the table there in Conference B, Ulster are the only team to win three matches, but they're only a point ahead. Like, <clears throat> that has to be a little bit frustrating. I mean, you're not scoring a lot of tries, so the bonus points aren't coming because um, you haven't scored a try in the first half yet. <laughs> first. Um, well, they thought they had. Yeah, well... <laughs> John Cooney will probably be counting that one in his end of season stats. Um, so the try bonuses aren't there. For me, the thing to take away from the table after these early weeks isn't so much what Ulster are doing, but it's what Treviso are doing. Because we've talked probably unfairly during the preseason about how we felt that once again this was going to be four teams fighting for three spots for the playoffs. Yeah. And for Treviso to do what they did, I don't know about him here to glare at me every time I say Treviso. And, um, <laughs> it's good to freedom. <laughs> um, for them to do what they did, having been down to 14 men for so long, to give Scarlets a real scare at Parky Scarlets, because the very best teams in this league have a rubbish record going to Parky Scarlets, um, Leinster and Ulster included. So for them to be that competitive and come away from that game, that they would have expected to lose anyway. To go down to 14 men that early and get two bonus points in defeat <clears throat> is a huge result. And the way that they have started this season, there's five good teams, f- five decent teams, let's not get too excited, <laughs> in, uh, in this conference. And it's going to be fascinating to see how that shakes out because Ulster last year finished fourth and that got them into a playoff for a Champions Cup spot. But there's going to be a good team from this conference. And I don't think the teams are distributed evenly between the two conferences mm-hmm. this year. But there's going to be a good team from this conference that doesn't even make it into a playoff for the Champions Cup next mm-hmm. season. 
Yeah, that's fair. I'm getting carried away thinking about being top of the table. <laughs> I really am. I've fallen into the trap already. <laughs> um, just throwing out a listener question at this stage. Peter Hanna, no relation to myself, although that is my dad's name, but I don't think this is my dad. I didn't check the Twitter account, so it could, it's not. I don't think it is. We've had three wins in a row. He says, is this papering over the cracks or should it give us a boost to move forward and have a good season? Boost for me. I'm not really here to ask questions, but like, or to answer questions, but like, here we go. Uh, I suppose that's not... That's really something we're not going to know for another no. couple of weeks. They no. will definitely not know after the Cheetahs game because, I mean, if they don't win, we're shutting this thing yeah. down. Well, you know, it's three wins. And three wins is down side better than you know, <laughs> the defeat or the alternative. And um, as we said earlier, we've been down this road before, not playing well but still winning, and then they hit something. Um, it's hard to know if that's coming or not. You'd like to think very much that it's not coming against the Cheetahs after Glasgow kind of thrashed them there in Blinfontein mm. at the weekend in a game that said earlier to Jonathan was being more like seemed like a game of basketball and rugby but um, you know it, it, it's I think it's just it's just too early to say what is really going on. We'll just have to wait a bit longer to see a few more games and in that vital lead up into Europe as well to see where they yeah. are. Yeah, absolutely. Well, moving on to that game then on Friday evening. That's at 6.15 our time. So if you are uh, looking on the Ulster website for that, just it says 7.15, but that means local time. So our time, 6.15. Don't sit down at 7.15 and expect to watch the whole match because you only get the second half. Um, second half's the time to switch on to Ulster matches. <laughs> very true, very true. Yeah, actually, just sit down at 7.15. <laughs> you want to miss that Um The Cheetahs have shipped 136 points in their first three games. Um, they've only got a point on the table in that time Ulster are going to win this aren't they? It'll depend what sort of team they have out to be honest but we alluded to this last week as something that we would talk about this week whenever I think Adam was taking the approach that the Kings are the worst um, team in this league and I had said that they certainly weren't the worst team that I had seen in this league so far over the first couple of weeks because that's definitely been the cheaters. I've watched mm-hmm. um, at least parts of all three of their games. And they, for me, are just far and away the biggest disappointment. As good as they were last year, this is a completely different team. They've lost their coach and they've lost their best players to Europe. Um, they've lost really strong players to other teams in South Africa throughout last season. You know, mm. We sat and we watched them in the first game in Belfast last year and everyone comes away really impressed with Mampipi but he's gone and that's presumably to further his Springboks career mm. we've seen him turn out in the rugby championship and it's just things like that they've lost so many of the players that impressed us last year both throughout last season and then in the summer we've seen Scarlets pick up their players um, Worcester um, taking their coach as well so this is just a massively different team than the one that we saw do well last year. In their first um, game with Monster this season, they had 10, people, 10 players exposed to their first Pro 14 rugby in that game. Yeah. So that shows you the level of turnover. And the issue that they seem to be having at the minute is this unsustainable schedule because their team in the Curry Cup is getting hammered as well. So you get two, t- two teams both doing poorly in two mm-hmm. different competitions. They're going to get players back in after the Curry Cup competition ends, but your resources are spread too thin. So if we're talking about it, and especially in light of both the tidying results this week and not just the Benetton result, but Zebra as well, I know that there will be people saying, oh, but you would have said this about the Italians a few years ago and look at them now, they're competitive. 
Zebra coming back from 21 points down to beat Cardiff. But that's only in the last couple of years when they put in place sustainable systems. The South African teams at the minute still don't have sustainable systems because they don't have the crowds. They're playing in two competitions and it's a player drain. Anytime anyone impresses for them, then they're signing for somebody else. So the way that Cheetahs have deteriorated from the team that we saw a year ago is a massive disappointment for anyone who's watching this league. So what what can they change? I mean, that's obviously a massive worry for both South African teams or all the South African teams when it comes next year. Isn't it that if anybody shows anything, they're going to go and from what John says, there needs to be major change if everyone... It just doesn't look to have worked out there. I mean, the, the crowds at both those games, the Cheetahs, and then also actually yesterday in uh, Nelson Mandela Bay Stadium were were pretty diabolical really and um, it was sometimes a bit like watching Edinburgh Murrayfield you know with this vast stadium it's mm-hmm. not it hasn't captured um, the rugby playing public uh, the rugby public's imagination out there and yes they are hemorrhaging players they're hemorrhaging points they're not really they're not functioning properly as a team just a perfect banana skin actually for Ulster <laughs> <laughs> absolutely here we are building window. hang on a minute building up and then something goes badly wrong that would be so so typical um, in many ways you know Ulster really have to win this game there's no reason why they, they shouldn't win this game and there's frankly no reason why they, they shouldn't ideally target um, five points from, from this game but then that was the case as well in many regards with uh, the Kings. Yeah. But the Cheetahs do look in disarray. Um, as I say, just the perfect ambush. <laughs> exactly. I think that the interesting thing from my perspective, or me and my were talking about this earlier, is going to be the team selection. Mm. We've seen a real consistency. Next question. You could have let me ask the question. Like, Sorry, well, no, <laughs> you could have let me continue with my flow, but now. Well, I just, well, I just like to interject with regular questions to make me feel useful. Well, now we've just both annoyed each other. Well, so, so um, I only think a team is going to be this week. There you go. Well, that's all, that's all, all I need. Shall I leave the room? <laughs> <laughs> Funny you should say that. Me and Michael were talking about this earlier, and I think if you had seen the fixture list, three months ago then you would have been looking at this and you would have thought that you definitely needed to get five points to get the, against the Kings but if you took anything from Bloemfontein it would be a successful trip mm-hmm. that's now not the case yeah. but the flip side of this coin is and I think some people find it quite refreshing especially in light of the last couple of years is we've seen a real consistency in team selection but you cannot run these boys nine ten weeks straight all the way into the break for november especially when you have a friendly fixture arranged for that november break so we're going to have to see rotation at some point and alan clark has been criticized for this in certain corners for what he did this week in sending a weekend team to munster Mm -hmm. in a game that they were highly unlikely to win anyway Mm -hmm. but that's the position that ulster are in so I think it'll be really interesting to see whether Dan McFarland rotates this week and rests a lot of those players that have been putting in an awful lot of minutes or whether he does it the week after against Munster because there are people that are going to think it's sacrilege to rest players against Munster. Absolutely. And it's something that I've complained about enough in the past about not seeing full-strength teams in Irish derbies. Yeah. But there's certainly an, an argument to make that Ulster's 
best chance of getting five points from the next two games is to target this one against the Cheetahs. I think you're absolutely right. I think it's a very compelling argument to go as strong as he can to secure this, this yeah. game and get this out of the way. Nine points from your mini tour to South Africa is a very reasonable return. But do you not think even if Ulster were to make fairly significant changes, they should still have enough? Not, not with the injuries that they have out at the minute, because you're talking about already being missing best, already being missing Stockdale, Henderson's not there, so those yeah. are your three frontline players. So you're already without them. <laughs> you throw Cooney into this mix, mm. and then probably talking about your four best players or your four mm. most prominent players not being there. So when you go beyond that and start making more changes for this game, then if you're talking about the 28th, 29th, 30th man that you brought on this trip, then they maybe don't have it. Because we still saw an ability from Cheetahs to score tries mm-hmm. um, on Saturday night. We just didn't see any ability whatsoever to defend, especially in the mm-hmm. second half. Like If you look at that game, until the 42nd minute or something, when Glasgow tied it, and then they just pulled away with like five mm-hmm. tries in the second half or something like that. So... It was a more competitive game than it probably looked. It was just a case of defence became increasingly optional. So they do have something of an ability to punish you if you send out your third team. Mm. So were so you both saying if you were Dan McFarland, you would keep a fairly similar team this week and then more or less sacrifice the monster game? I would go down if I were Dan McFarland I would be looking at yeah the Cheetahs game is a game that I could get maximum points from the Monster game probably one I can't and I would take that into consideration just take the hit on that one um, not saying I would necessarily send a severely dilute team in Monster but you know sooner or later you're going to have to rotate yeah. and that would be the ideal time leading into um, it's what uh, Connacht after that and then you're into Europe yeah. The only thing that I think probably muddies the water is, is you have this five day turnaround. Mm-hmm. So, do you need? Yeah. Do you have true. to rotate out of necessity because you have this quick turnaround? And all the fatigue and so on and so forth from the travelling that they've done as well. We really don't know. We're not on the ground and we don't obviously know just what impact that may have. But there are situations he may not be able or feel feasible mm-hmm. to ask these guys to go again. And remember, it's at altitude. Not that that bothered Glasgow too much. But it is a different environment, um, so it's very hard. It's it, yeah, it's it's really a hard one to call. But I think, and I guess Jonathan would probably agree that if you were of a certain mind and if you could deploy something very close to what you had against the Kings to go for it, mm-hmm. you'd do it against yeah. the Cheetahs, if possible, and then let them nurse their bruises and win the long haul flight home. <laughs> yeah. It's a huge call though because you have to have the courage of your convictions when you're getting criticised for it oh, as you no doubt would be from various corners if yeah. you send a weekend team down a month. Like Alan, Alan Clark took it on the chin this week and said he takes responsibility for it. He didn't prepare his team to ship 59 points or whatever it yeah. was in in Thoman Park but it's one of those where you're talking about weighing up the history of the games, the history of the Interpros, the history of the rivalries up against what is a far more realistic opportunity to get points. But then you also have to remember that the last time Ulster actually won in Thilman Park yeah. was when they sent exactly. half a team down there at the end <laughs> of uh, 2014. So. That might be a cunning boy then. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, aside from the team news then, Michael, you mentioned the playing at altitude is going to be an issue. So having a little chat about this after the game was 
Manon Martel, Kutsia. Well, uh, the one area we have to accept is uh, the altitude factor. You know, um, most of these boys haven't played in altitude, so it's, uh, it's an important factor to get over that, first of all. And um, I know the Cheetahs, um, especially at the home turf, you know, they've got to definitely approve the point. And we have to match that again as well, you know. So it's a short turnaround for us, but um, we'll try and be professional where we can about it and uh, just take it on, on the chin. Yeah. What does that altitude do to you, like in literal terms? Oh, you know, it's just um, shortness of breath, you know. Um, because of the altitude factor, you know, um, your cells or something, the, the smart people would say it helps, you know, they'll know more, but it's hard with your breathing. And uh, once you get a second breath, you know, then you're fully in the game. But um, it's just a psychology we have to get over with. Good, a good blow as we arrived there in Bloemfontein, and uh, that will be another animal to face as well. It wasn't a such a great week then for Ulster A, who were quite heavily defeated 45-15 at home to Scarlet. And Michael, you had the pleasure of being in attendance. Oh yes, I was there at Shaw's Bridge on Friday night. Uh, yeah, it was their second uh, Celtic Cup outing. They'd lost to Leinster the, uh, the week before Gibson Park and shipped, I think it was over 40, and, and they shipped uh, 45 here. This was though, um, this was a very, very difficult night for Kieran Campbell and his squad. They were quite you know, depleted because they'd taken a number of players to South Africa with them. Uh, with this expanded senior squad yeah. and there were a number of injuries there um, to supposed senior players who may well have got a game so they they had something like eight academy players I think they said and anyway they yeah they conceded six tries it was a very poor and disappointing performance um, the Scarlets eh, who they were playing did them everywhere all over the park really and it was an entirely dominant display and really um it's very, very difficult now. They have one point after two games. It's very, very difficult now to see them having any chance of qualifying. This restructured tournament means you have to finish top of the conference okay. to qualify. And they're a long way behind Leinster. Um, so it's going to be very difficult. They play um, in Cardiff, I think, on Saturday. Again, it'll probably be something quite similar to the side that lost so heavily at Scarlet. And remember, those are two home games they've lost. Mm-hmm. And they've lost them you know, quite heavily, particularly... Um, um, last Friday, so it's going to be a bit of a struggle, I would say now, to um, to pull the whole thing together. Yeah. Oh, was there any Ulster player that sort of salvaged anything or, or caught the eye a little bit uh, for good reasons? <laughs> well, not. It was not really. It was. Yeah. It was just one of those nights when things were going yeah. on. Obviously, we're hoping Aaron Sexton would show up. He's the mm. Bangor Grammar pupil on the wing, but he just didn't get. The ball because they were they were decimated at the breakdown. Yeah. Not really. Jordan Levy did put himself about a bit, um, but it would be very very hard to really take too many positives out of that, and uh, be even harder for the coaching staff, I'd imagine, to turn this round. Thank you. Fun night all round. <laughs> oh yeah, and it rained. Oh great. It's even better. Great. Anyway. Jordan Levy gave it the classic Joe Launch for getting the Man of the Match award. I don't know whether you saw the picture. I did see the picture. He, yes. he just looked as unenthused about <laughs> getting a Man of the Match award as anyone has been since Joe Launch for in that World Cup game. In, in fairness now to think about it, Aaron Hall came on for a very rare sighting. He's a flanker who played for the senior mm-hmm. team. I think it was once last year and was never seen again. I think he was injured. And he, mm-hmm. he also did look up for it. Um... But for Michael Lowry and the boys, Michael Lowry was captaining the team. It was a very, very, very difficult night. And uh, 
probably the less celebrated uh, the better. Mm-hmm. I found a little bell here at Ring It because that's the Michael Lowry mentioned. Michael Lowry gets mentioned <laughs> every single week on the podcast without fail. Okay. Without fail, he gets a mention, okay. even though he like. Uh, he, he did play for the senior team, didn't he? In the in the friendlies. Yeah. yeah, but we started this a year ago, and he was mentioned every <laughs> week, and he'd never played for Ulster. So I mean, John has a thing about him. Uh, well, we've talked about ten options quite a lot, given when we started this yeah, podcast. Touche, so. touche. Mm. Um, another team then that got beaten again at the weekend was the Ulster women's team who lost 31-17 in Connacht. So that is the end of their very brief season. Uh, blink and you miss it. But what? What does happen then in the for those out there who don't know? I mean, not myself. I, I know, but just you you can explain it there, Jonathan. What sort of happens in the women's game then? Obviously, it's a very brief Ulster season, but what what? Well, you obviously <laughs> gave real in depth into. Um, attention to the article that I wrote. <laughs> so, yeah, well, that's just um, I said I knew, I do know. Yes, so Derek Suffern, who people probably know more from his time at Balmahage, now at Queen's, and for being the man that's trotted out every time people need to get schools articles from uh, <laughs> Jacob Stockdale's time at Walsh, <laughs> um, is in charge of the Ulster women's team now. Um, it's got uh, James McBriar and his, his assistant, among others. And what they're now planning to do to counteract this fact that you have this three-game season that feels like it's gone already, especially this year when it's September rather yeah. than December. Um, so they're going to continue to have representative sessions throughout the year. Okay. Um, they're going to widen those out to take more players from the club game get a look at more people and just continue to try and build that sort of squad togetherness throughout there. And you're also, of course, going to have the All-Ireland um, Women's League mm-hmm. starting very soon. And then there is a development league as well below the top tier mm-hmm. now. Yeah. So it's not just a case of what it was in previous years where it was just Cook that you had yeah. playing at that high level. Yeah. Okay, well, listener questions for this week. The first one comes in from Dr. Gary Mitchell. How can the players and coaching? We did touch on this a little bit earlier, but not very much. How can the players and coaching team at Ulster build and develop more effective lineouts? Well, I mean, a lot of work, I suppose, working on them. I mean, when he, when he says effective lineouts, what does he actually mean? Actually, winning the lineouts or actually attacking off the lineouts? I don't really know what. Uh, I mean, what he means. I think the lineout, in terms of mall defences, looked very good this season up until. Yeah. Um, Sunday mm. the obvious difference there is you've taken Ian Henderson out of it you don't want to be so reliant on Ian Henderson but at the same time going back a number of years Ireland's line never looked the same when you take out Paul O'Connell Wales's line doesn't look the same when you take out Alan Wynne-Jones when you take out the central figure you're obviously going to get a drop off I suppose there is and maybe what the question is trying to get at is the attacking playoff line edge because it's something that we've seen in Joe Schmidt's time in Ireland where such a high percentage of Ireland scores in years gone by have come from the set piece especially the line edge you see an awful lot more moves sort of designed to get Sean O'Brien peeling off and things like that it's not something that we particularly see from Ulster despite the fact that going back until really sort of this time last year they haven't scored a tremendous amount of tries off their mall and it's something that we saw um, 
in the first two games of the season they weren't getting a great amount of traction from the mall and then attacking sense either so it's probably just variety I would say and then obviously having Ian Henderson back in it's going to make a big difference <laughs> would be a help yeah, I mean the mall defence um, against the Kings just went completely absent without leave um, for their try um, and it does happen um, I've seen it before I've seen it happen at the RDS before and um, I suppose it's just uh, lack of organisation, lack of concentration. These things will, I'm sure, be tightened up. Ian Henderson, Mildebury tends to run the line out. And if Rory Best gets back as well, you'd like to think, though it doesn't necessarily follow that the accuracy will be there, but Rob Herring usually does throw mm-hmm. pretty accurately. I don't really know what was going on yesterday, but these things happen. Yeah. We'll not get carried away with it. Well, another good link. You're providing a great link today, Michael. Rory Best, you mentioned. Um, he is the feature of Donald's weekly question. He says, do you think the referee management skills of Rory Best could have changed the direction of yesterday's game completely? He says, there was no one from Ulster to ask questions to why the Kings were always getting a final warning. So could it be that somebody with sort of the, the gravitas of Rory Best may have been able to influence the referee? Well, I think... We've actually talked about this with Ireland before, um, let alone Ulster. Roy Best has developed this um, reputation as something of a ref whisperer and having that relationship with the referees to put the pressure on them. But Rob Herring did actually go and try to talk to the ref and make the point about these infringements. And the ref, Mike, then didn't pick up, they went somewhere else, didn't pick up what he'd said, but it wasn't that. You know, it wasn't for lack of trying. Rob Herring was in the ref's ear. It just yeah, didn't but, but as an, an experienced referee, is it one thing, Rob Herring getting near and Rory Best getting in near? <laughs> I mean, maybe it is, but there's nothing that Ulster can do about that in games that Rory Best isn't playing. <laughs> no, that's true. Got a send them on with the water or something. Yeah. <laughs> I'm good with the referee in the way uh, Another question then... Um, that we actually discussed, well, I don't know whether we, we discussed it privately last week, I don't know what we said in the podcast, but we had a look at it uh, during the week then, as regards to who sets the kickoff times for the A games. So we took this to Ulster Rugby and found out that, I don't actually know what we found out yet, this is exciting. Yes, that uh, in general terms, um, when the senior team are playing, is taken into consideration, but there are other aspects to the decision, like accommodating travel for the away team, availability of the venue, player availability, etc., etc., etc. So I think this was sort of in reference to the idea that it, um, some of the games make it fairly inconvenient to watch the A team and the senior team of a given weekend, but there are other things taken into consideration. Primarily, you would think the opposition because mm-hmm. I don't imagine that the budget for these Celtic Cup teams is great. So uh, travel has to be taken into consideration, as well as just having free venues to play in. Yeah, fair. Well, on the back of that, we put up a little poll on Twitter during the week and asked if Ulster were to play an A game at Kingspan Stadium before a senior game, which games would you attend? People would say both games are just a senior game. Uh, we didn't actually give them the option of just the A game, which would have been strange altogether, but like, you never know. So 80% said, uh, of 118 people voted, 80% of those said that they would attend both games. Now, it's one thing just to click yes on Twitter and to actually get up and go, but I think that's interesting. Do you think that's something that ever might happen, or for those reasons we've just outlined, is it just a bit unrealistic? 
Well, it has happened before that they've done this. I think they had a, an A game, was it last season or the season before, before a friendly, but they just okay. tend not to do it. Um, you've got to factor in, I suppose, wear and tear on the pitch, potentially, yeah. as a reason, because it come the end of nearly every season. Ravenhill does not look, you know, in, in great nick quite often. But or Ravenhill, did I say Ravenhill? It's just <laughs> stadium. Yeah, you're right to say Ravenhill yeah. on the podcast. It's just whenever we're writing it that we have to remember. Yeah, they also <laughs> have this idea that they do want to take it out, and, and some of the, the Welsh clubs in the competition in the BNI Cup have done this as well, taking it out side and, and, and down into to clubs, so presumably to do as well. They don't think they're going to get big crowds, but they're going to try and get the core crowd yeah. who go from a local rugby club maybe to watch it potentially. Though I have been to Banbridge for a game before when Banbridge themselves have been playing a game, but elsewhere. So I've just wondered what on earth is going on there <laughs> because obviously Banbridge supporters and club members would naturally gravitate. I think they were playing in Armagh that day. So why would they yeah, watch sense. an A game? But there is a core of people who will go and watch these A games seemingly wherever. Um, yeah, <laughs> but like the thing that has to be remembered with this as well is it's not like Ulster can just open the doors mm-hmm. and that's it sorted. Like we've seen it with the Liam Miller um, tribute match and this kick up about that, um, with Parky Cream and stuff. You have to remember that it costs money just to have these places open, like to have Kingspan Stadium open three hours earlier to accommodate a game mm-hmm. would cost Ulster money. Mm-hmm. Unless more people came through the turnstiles just to see that game or bought tickets yeah. for the senior game that weren't going to buy tickets anyway because the A game was on. Mm-hmm. And then. Which is probably unlikely. Yes. And mm-hmm. what time do you have to have the kickoff to accommodate everything that you have to do to get the, the senior team to be able to warm up in time? Like you're talking about Aaron Saxon having to miss at least his last three classes in the day <laughs> just to. Uh, yeah. <laughs> just to get the kick off in time you know absolutely if Aaron if you can get back to us on what you have final <laughs> three periods on a Friday just for research purposes um, our last question then from Reynold on Twitter uh, just says he'd be interested to hear your thoughts on the goings on at Korean RFC as reported in the Sunday Live yesterday yeah I mean look I've obviously spent a number of years covering rugby at that level Michael's the same and I think we would both agree that there's no place in the game for any form of alleged abuse of officials I would also agree the inference being that Gareth thinks this is all okay I definitely do not just um, I, I like distance myself from any obligation especially the efforts being made to spread the game it's just it's obviously not what you want it's been you don't want to like paint Joy Neville as a trailblazer you you want to look at her as a referee mm-hmm. but she is an obvious example of how ridiculous it is for yeah. female officials to be getting sexist abuse without going any further into it because I think the referees association have said that it's still um it's still a live issue mm-hmm. and they're not going to be discussing it anymore until it's resolved. So I suppose just 
wouldn't say any more on it than, than what we've said there. No, and if you want to know any more about it, it was in the Sunday Life this week, and it is also online, so you'll be able to find that if you wish to read it. So, a uh, little look at the club rugby then. Um, Adam, our normal club rugby correspondent, is obviously away. So, Michael, you are stepping into the reach. Tell us the latest goings on <laughs> of the club rugby scene, even though the All Ireland League hasn't started yet, and as we as we ascertained a couple of weeks ago, nothing really matters until then. Uh, well, it's not that it doesn't really matter, but oh, uh, to me. Yeah, Sorry, it doesn't matter to me. All right, okay. <laughs> but uh, this weekend we've got the Sunny Ulster Premiership um, going again, and this will be the last time it will do so. Uh, we'll take a break, and then the All Ireland League serious business begins after this weekend. So um, all the clubs that can will now be looking at putting out um, pretty close to full strength sides if they haven't done already. Okay. To basically build into that. Mm-hmm. Um, the number of fixtures that sort of catch the eye, um, certainly uh, Malone playing Ballymena at Gibson Park. This will be the second of three consecutive times both clubs actually play each other, believe it or not. They played <laughs> last weekend. I know, how nuts is this? It must be a record, I suppose. They played last weekend in the Cup, the Senior Cup quarterfinal. They play this weekend in the Sunny Ulster Premiership. And then they meet each other again in on the first weekend of the All Ireland League. And that's like three different competitions, too. Three different competitions, yeah. And it's, they're both in One uh, B um, this year, and that's the, the first game. So it'll be very interesting to see how they go. And, and, and I'm assuming now that they will very much be building towards that, yeah. that game. Um, if you were to pick a winner for us, then we have a game of the week. So we'll pick that as our game of the week. If you were to pick a pick a winner from that one, tell mm. me Okay. Bother asking you who you're going to pick in that game. I'm off after today. After this afternoon, <laughs> so I'm not thinking about any of these things until next Tuesday. That is a difficult one. Uh, Malone probably well, they won't have a lot of their academy players. There won't be academy players available because of um, Ulster A. And Ulster A may also pull other players, club yeah. players, out. So it's a very, very hard one to call. I should have sort of hit you with that. That yes, ideally they would like to be going as full strength. But I was forgetting, of course, that the Celtic Cup will eat course, in yeah. to what they can do. Um, I would say Malone at home if I really have to come down on one side or the other um, might well have the edge uh, in that one It's something that we've seen really affect in the first couple of weeks of the season um, player availability mm. you know I think Malone thirds didn't feel this weekend because as you talk about that sort of knockdown effect of the senior team being in South Africa how does that affect the A team so how does that affect Malone first so how does that affect Malone seconds and <laughs> So because Ulster were in South Africa, Malone thirds could the team. That's essentially what we're talking about here, yeah. <laughs> Basically, yes. Basically, yes. Yeah. So again, um, yeah, ideally, as I said, in the ideal world, the clubs are building now towards this. Um, but those clubs who clearly have Ulster Academy players are going to mm-hmm. not be able to do that yeah. this weekend. Uh, Malone certainly will be hit by that. Um, whereas a club like Rainy Old Boys really won't be hit by yeah. that theory and uh, they actually uh, they, they, had a, they had a good win over Queens last week in the cup and they are playing uh, at home to Bangor uh, in Division 2 of the Sunny Premiership and uh, I would say that Rainey will be building very nicely for the Ireland League Absolutely. off the back of um, I think they've won all their games in the Sunny and they won the cup yeah. game last week too shaping up well that's the kiss of death putting Rainey yes so absolutely <laughs> that's the end of them 
That's pretty much us for this week. Then I don't know. I haven't forgotten anything. I mean, I have this panic at the end of every week this season that I've forgotten something, but I don't think I have. Gotta yeah, make you a checklist for next for next week. Yeah, well, Mainly remembering it? Jonathan's name. <laughs> yeah, that's, that is, yeah, that's what I've really forgotten. But on that note, from Jonathan Bradley. Thank you very much. Um, from <laughs> Mike oh, Hammond. No, no, it's fine, it's fine. Thank you very much for having me. Um, from myself, Gareth Hammond. Thanks for listening.